listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. It's a specific part of church tradition for so many years where we stop and consider what it means for us that God comes near. It's a time of preparation where our hearts are to be focused, where we're to make in our lives a reflective, little, just a, a nugget of time where we will in every way reflect on what it means that Christ came near. And ultimately, He came to deliver us from our sins and from ourselves. And as this Advent, or we just like to call it the Christmas season, but it's a little more than that. It's supposed to be filled with hope, with joy, with excitement, with expectation. And that, that hope, that joy, that excitement should build for us. This is a season designed primarily for us to wait and see what God is going to do. That's what it's supposed to be for us as God's people. A time where we zero in and focus. And that can become frustrating. Advent can become frustrating for us and maybe a little dysfunctional even in some ways. And that happens because of what we choose to focus upon. The only expectation often we have in our lives is to finish our shopping or our decorating or wrapping or our food or get through our work week or through school for vacation, whatever it might be. It's not that those things are all bad. I know a lot of students that are excited to go back for a couple weeks and be done with their college semester or whatever it is. And it's not that any of the things are bad, but in the end, what do we place at the top of our list? If you have a Christmas list in your heart and it's what's important, what do we place at the top of our list? What do we anchor our lives to? during this season of expectation? What are we going to celebrate? What are we going to place our our hope in? For if Christmas has come, if Christ is the one who comes to us at Christmas, we know that God's Word promises us He's going to come again. And that's what we celebrate as we begin our journey into Advent today in this Christmas story. God has come, He will come again. And, And that is a real sense of both expectation and celebration. It should be for us if we know Christ. And So we're going to look at some of those great moments that are both celebratory and expectant in the Bible, and they make up this first Advent, this first season where they waited for God, Savior, for the Messiah to come, this preparation that happened as Christ came down. And as we look at those, we're going to see there are specific declarations or even songs or anthems that are sung, that are given as praise and celebration. And we're going to look at those over the next few weeks in Advent. And these songs of praise and joy, they really do draw us into the Christmas celebration. And this Advent, we're talking about how we have a calling, we have a responsibility as Christ followers to repeat the sounding joy in our own lives. And it's a sacred duty, just as it was for those who celebrated at the first Advent. It's a time for all of us who know Christ, we're supposed to share what Christmas really means, that Christ came to save us, to redeem us from our sins, and to restore to us true hope and real joy for all of creation. We know that joy will be made complete, that joy we have, that expectation will come to fruition finally when Christ comes again to restore all the earth, all the creation, when sin and darkness will be no more. And that's really a big part, that's a core part of what should anchor us to this Christmas season. So we're going to open up Luke 1 today and we're going to begin this celebration, this journey of expectation, of joy, and of preparation with Mary as she sings an anthem or a praise, and she gives thanks to God. And we know that as the Magnificat. She lifts up her soul to God, and 
she sings about what he's doing in her life through her son yet to be born, through Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick up as she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, where news has come to Mary through the angel Gabriel that God has chosen her and overshadowed her to bring the Son of God into the world through her, even though she's a virgin. A news that's shared with her, and it's shocking, and she's not sure what to do with it. And so she goes immediately to family. And in that moment, as she comes in and spends time with her cousin, that's when the very first Christmas carol, as it were, is sung. The very first Christmas carol. Sure, there are other songs of praise in Scripture, and there are other songs about the Messiah, about Christ's coming. But this is really, when you think about it, what Mary sings here, and be clear, this is a poetic thing that she's putting in here in the original language, and it really is the first Christmas carol. So as we open up here today to Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 39 and read through verse 55. If you want, you can open up one of those shiny new uh, Bibles in your seat backs there if you'd like to follow along. I want to encourage you to bring your own copy of God's Word. Luke 1, so you've got to go a couple books in the New Testament there, right at the beginning. We're going to pick up in verse 39. Now, the Magnificat, the song, really begins in verse 45, but it's really important we get a little of the backstory as we're going to see here, and we'll talk about that. So let's read this morning. And I do encourage you to bring your own Bible and get familiar with it. If you need a Bible, that's what these are for. Take one or give one to a friend as well. So let's start in Luke 1, 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has, has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm, and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, and then she returned to her home. We're going to stop there this morning in God's Word, and we're going to continue on here. Let's look a little bit about this, a little bit about this story, the background. Now, this passage comes right after something else we call in Scripture the Annunciation in Christianity and the announcement. That's when Gabriel comes and declares to Mary what God will do in her life. Now, if you've been reading our Advent devotional, that's the green books out there, I want to encourage you to grab one of those and to take one of those with you. If you haven't, if you can donate $11 to cover it, that's fine. But if not, don't let that prevent you from taking it. The, the, the Advent devotional this year is also titled Repeat the Sounding Joy. And our messages will in some ways reflect them, though they're not the same thing by any stretch. If you've been reading that and following along in that, very, that really great biblical uh, walk through this part of God's Word, I hope 
you do that. You'll, you'll see in that, Christopher Ashley, the author there, talks a little bit about this, and he reflects on this enunciation that happens in Luke 1. And what's going on here is that Mary, this Magnificat, this song, as we consider that, we'll get to that anthem, to that song in a moment, but you really need a little of the backdrop, and if you've read our devotional, you have some of it. So in Luke 1.38, after Gabriel the angel comes and says, Mary, here's what God's going to do. Once that happens, she has a powerful response. Now remember, Mary's just a teenage girl. She's a teenage girl. And what does she say? I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. She says, I don't understand this. I'm not sure I get all of this, but I belong to God. I'm his handmaiden. I'm his servant, depending on what your translation is there. It says, I belong to him. That's powerful. She recognizes what God's doing, and she accepts that essentially she's going to have a price to pay for this. She's going to be an outcast of sorts. Socially, she could be an outcast, and relationally, she could be ostracized from family or friends because she's an unwed teen mother. In that culture, that could even cost her her life, but there was, regardless, a real price to be paid. There was real loss. People were going to look at her differently. They were going to judge her differently. There's not a lot of hope or a lot of joy in that on first reading, is there? That's tough. And she says, you know, God, I'm going to trust you. Has that happened to you where you understand or maybe somewhat understand what God's doing, but you don't really see where it's all going? I think for all of us, when we feel that whether it's God in our hearts tells us something or through another trusted Christian person through God's word and through studying it and through the circumstances of life, all these factors come together and we say to ourselves, I kind of see these points in what God's doing. I don't really see how they connect together. Yet, I mean, I sort of see it. It's kind of like if I squint a little bit, kind of in my heart and my mind, I, I maybe, but I'm not sure what God is doing. You know God's at work. Mary did. But you're not sure where things are going to go. And that's the backdrop of what happens. And if you read earlier, if you've been through the devotional, you see Gabriel kind of, God uses his angel and he says to him, you know what? Maybe you should go visit Elizabeth. She's cool. She's good. You should go visit her. So Mary does. She heads off. And she has this moment of reflection. And She's clearly trusting in God and she's trying to connect and she goes and she looks for even that deeper relational connection. We're always looking for connection, for understanding, for acceptance, for someone who gets it. And that makes sense, I think, to all of us here as human beings. So she goes to Elizabeth. She's not sure. And as she enters the house, she immediately finds that connection. Because Elizabeth, her cousin, who was far too old, she's got great news as well. She and her husband, Zachariah, are going to have a child that will become John the Baptist. And we see her holistically, God's spirit at work, because the baby in Elizabeth leaps for joy. John the Baptist leaps for joy. His cousin has come. And Elizabeth, as the Holy Spirit is just dripping, God's spirit's at work in this situation, she says, wow, how could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. She already knows. Have you ever thought about that? I think we read this Christmas story 
so often and so quickly, even if you're not in God's Word a lot and we want you to be, this is one of those passages, maybe you just read it so many times, you gloss past that stuff. She knows right away what's going on. She says, the mother of my Lord has come. And that welcome, that connection, immediately changes Mary's perception of her life, of her circumstances, of what God is doing. You see, we're always looking for connection with what God's doing. And as Christians, we have to remember that people are seeking that connection from us as those that bear this understanding. We talked about, we know what Advent means, what it meant for God's people when he came, what Christmas is all about, and what it's going to be because Christ is going to come again. We have this understanding, this connection, those points. We have more of them than the people around us may have of what Christmas is all about. We get it. Mary was not someone special in her world. She was not someone who knew what to do. She was not someone who expected something like this to happen. As you go in the devotional, as you read through, you would see in Luke 2, she and Joseph, they take Jesus later to be dedicated, and the reality of that plays out Luke chapter 2. And if you remember recently, as we studied in Romans 12 or 13, we talked a little bit about the sacrificial system. So when they come and they take Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, remember, if you remember when we studied that, the sacrificial system, depending on who you were, you would buy an extravagant, a costly sacrifice. Maybe it was a ram or a sheep or different things. Do you know what Jesus' family got for that for him? Two pigeons. Do you know, based on our understanding of this, what we call the Second Temple Judaism, when Jesus was born, that period of culture, this is where having the Bible in context makes it powerful. Do you know what the cheapest sacrifice was that you could offer? you know what the one you offered was if you were destitute? Two pigeons. You see why the Pharisees kind of laughed when Jesus shows up? What good thing ever came from Nazareth? This guy's from the ghetto. Why does anybody listen to this guy? Mary's song will make a little more sense if we understand this. A poor, unwed, expectant teen. A nobody. And now she was going to be an outcast among nobodies. She comes to her cousin. Her cousin says, who am I? the mother of my Lord would come. As the Spirit is at work in this situation, as Elizabeth encourages Mary in her obedience to God's calling on her life, she's honored, she's lifted up on high in a way that she's not familiar with. She's not sure what to do with that as that connection comes. She's not sure what to do with that, but in here, something powerful is happening. Connection is found. Mary is given hope where she felt lost. She's given expectation where she felt that her life had nothing to look forward to. She wants to know more. She hungers to understand more. What is God doing in her life? She wants to understand, God, what are you doing? She was probably even thinking about that. She took her walk there. God, what are you doing in my life? What is going on? What's your goal in all of this? And look where she finds it. She finds it in relationship. Elizabeth says to Mary, 
Look and see what the Lord is doing here. And think about here, Elizabeth speaks in what we call very Trinitarian language. This is where us Presbyterians in our doctrine and theology come into this. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know what that's about. But if you look at verse 45 in this passage, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth inspired by God's Spirit, uses God-centered Trinitarian language. The Lord blesses, and she's blessed that the mother of her Lord has come to her. So who's the Lord? Who's the Lord there? Is it the Father who has sent her? Or the baby that reacted as Elizabeth's baby left for joy? Is it the baby inside of Mary? And of course, we know the answer is yes. God's Spirit is present. God the Father is present in what He is doing, and Christ is there already and growing in His mother Mary, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And guided by that Spirit, Elizabeth picks up on that. She speaks into that truth, and she gives that hope and that truth to Mary. Hey, don't you see? The Lord has sent the Lord that I would have the mother of my Lord, my Savior, my Messiah, the one we're waiting for. This is powerful. It's uplifting. It's incredible because there is expectation. Light is shed in the darkness, the despair, the hopelessness that Mary has because God has come. The Lord is there. God is one, eternal and existent spirit who comes to bless and to redeem and to love his people. God is at work. And in that moment, Mary's understanding is transformed and the curtains are pulled back and the sorrow and despair that she's been anguishing over as she walked through the woods to Elizabeth's house and she walked along the, the path and thought, what am I going to do? Suddenly, everything is changed. And we need to think about that. We need to think about that as this first Christmas carol unfolds. Something has happened that has changed Elizabeth from or Mary, because of Elizabeth, her hopelessness has become hope. Her sorrow has become joy. Her feeling of isolation and just despair and brokenness has become something of expectation and excitement because she says, God's at work, something's happening here. And she finds that in Christian community. Because there's no doubt here, Elizabeth knows that Christ is coming and he's here. And Mary is going to be his mother. And even her son yet to be born. And his spirit and his soul leaps for joy. John the Baptist, the one that will later cry out for Christ, prepare the way for God, a rock and redeemer. Our Lord has come. The Savior of Israel is here. Do you realize how incredible that is? These two babies yet to be born are already being guided by the providential hand by a loving Heavenly Father. Mary and Elizabeth, their mothers, right where God would have them to be. We need community as Christ followers, all of us. It's how God has wired us. It's what He wants us to do. It's how He guides us. It's how He strengthens us. We find the Lord and we see Him most readily at work in our lives because He's always at work in our lives even when we don't see it. When we are reflected back on one another in Christian community, when we love, when we seek, when we study God's word, when we pray 
with each other, when we pray for each other, because we set down our own agendas, our own fears, our own failures, our own hopelessness, and God replaces that with His plans, His purposes, His hope, His joy. He provides that meaning we all look for. We need that. And Mary's countenance has changed, and she says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. We see God is at work. It's one of the reasons we're talking about doing more with our ABFs and even launching some small group studies here in the life of our church because it can be a place where God deepens our faithfulness and transforms our lives. And friends, in our world today, we need to find that hope. We need to find that joy and that purpose in this place together in relationships. Sometimes that means that God's going to stretch us a little bit. Think about that. Mary doesn't come in to Elizabeth's house. She's not excited. She doesn't come in and say, hey, babe, high five. What's up? Look, mother of the most high right here. Selfie? Come on in. We'll get one. No, post this to your story. I don't care. That's good. She doesn't do that. Be kind of funny if she did. But this is God's word and not an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, so we're safe. But think about that. When we do life together, when we trust each other, when we have God-honoring, Godward relationships, when we pray for each other, when we give to each other, we see Christ at work in one another's lives. And that does bring us hope. So what does Mary sing about here briefly? If this is the first Christmas carol, what's it all about? Well, I love how Dr. Tim Keller puts this. It's a little bit about me as far as Mary goes and a little bit about he. A little bit about me and a little bit about he. So we're going to talk a little bit about the me and then we're going to talk a little bit about the he. Chiefly, we're going to see the me or the my statements in verses 46 and 48. And you can look at those in the bulletin or in your Bible. And then we'll get a little bit into the he sayings. The me and the he statements. Verse 46, Mary says, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. Now Protestants, we kind of gloss over this one because the Roman Catholic Church has made this kind of a, maybe I, I would say improperly, the center of some things beyond what God's Word teaches, but but still, it's true. If you grew up Roman Catholic, this will make sense. But it is true that Mary rightly understands that she has a special place in God's history. She's the mother of the Savior. That's really cool. Especially when you're an outcast among outcasts and you're a teen mom or soon to be a teen mom and you feel like you're at the bottom rung of everything. That's a powerful revelation. It's She's getting this. She's putting those pieces. Those connections are coming together. And think about that. But if you grew up Roman Catholic, you also need to notice that it says in verse 47, in God, my Savior. And Mary knows that she's not perfect, that she has no power to be made perfect, and she needs a Savior too. Only Christ is perfect. And so Mary, knowing who she is and knowing who God is and he's at work, that there is a Lord in heaven and he's bringing his son to earth and that she is starting to understand what Elizabeth is talking about, she begins to sing out this understanding. 
expectation has taken root. That's what we sing about in Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, or O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, born to set us free from our sins. Mary knew she needed to be set free from sin. We know it. Elizabeth knew it. And so she sings out, My spirit rejoices, my soul praises. The first Christmas carol was about that deep need and longing for salvation. That's what she was looking for. She knows that God is with her. He's doing mighty things around her, in this case, even within her. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we should celebrate all year long as we wait expectantly for what God is doing in our lives and what we see him doing in the lives of others around us. That's what we need to be saying to each other and encouraging each other about. That's in my mind what it really means to get the Christmas spirit. It's something far deeper than maybe what we see on the Hallmark Channel. It's something that has a lot more of a personal nature that God is at work uniquely in each one of our lives. And that's what Mary's singing about in the me portion of her Magnificat. That's what she's singing about. Even though she's broken and sinful, God loves her and he's using her anyway. And she's waiting now with expectation for what's going to happen next in her life and in the life of the son yet to be born that she has, that God is going to do something that's going to change the world. There's a deep need, a deep longing that we all want fulfilled in each one of us. And Christ comes to meet that. And we know we don't find it anywhere else, but it doesn't keep us from trying. But all generations, including us, are going to be blessed. And, she's going to, and they're going to be blessed through who Jesus is. And that's why we switch from the my and me to the he portion. From verse 50 here. His mercy is from generation to generation. Again, that's us. On those who fear him. Who know who he is. To seek to follow him. We've studied that in the book of Romans. What it means to fear God. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now Mary's speaking out of her own experience and what she's known. The deepest parts of her being, her hurts, her frustrations with what she's experienced she sings out to God with longing. That's what the first Christmas carol is about. And she says, God, I know who you are. You know who I am, and I'm seeing a little more of what you're doing here, but I know who you are, and I know what your word promises you're going to do. And I wait, I celebrate that you're going to do this in my life. I'm going to wait for this. I'm going to proclaim it. I'm going to sing it out. And it's not a sentimental song, is it? This is not white Christmas. This is certainly not grandma got run over by a reindeer. It, it's, it's, it's not one of those sentimental, sappy, wishy-washy kind of a songs. This is a tough song about some real things. It's practical. It's about what she's known. But her song and her attitude shows us she's ready for God to redeem, to transform, to change stuff. She's ready for God to do things, even though it might mean not just that her world is turned upside down, but the whole world that she knows might be different. She doesn't know what that looks like. She has some of the connections, but not all of them. But she's waiting in expectation, and she's trusting in who God says he is. 
He's mighty. He's powerful enough to do it. And he knows who belongs to him. And he knows who needs to be brought to their knees. He knows who needs to be lifted up. But he is a God who is merciful from generation to generation of those that he calls to him, whose hearts belong to him. He's a God that's going to take care of them, and he's going to set all the injustices right. That's powerful. Think about that. The thing is, when God's at work, when God's grace, when God's mercy, when God's power is let loose. It's kind of like the wind. And the wind can do powerful things. God's Spirit is always at work in our world, and lots of preachers like Billy Graham have talked about being the wind. But I remember one time, we were out on a little reservoir lake in Pennsylvania with an elder from uh, PCA Church where I served, and his name was Dave, and he had a catamaran, and he took us all out on his little boat. He was a professor at Duquesne, a very intelligent man. Grew up Jew Jewish and came to Christ and understood all those promises and all those expectations. And I remember I sat and talked to him as we were sailing around the boat, and I was watching him work all the ropes and everything. And, you know, catamarans, you kind of get up on the end to turn them a little bit. It's pretty cool. But I said, tell me about the wind, Dave. How's this thing work? He said, well, wind is amazing, because if I don't get it quite right and I don't trim my sails, we're going to flip over and die. <laughs> now, he's a scientist, so I'm scared a little bit. Or we're going to crash into those rocks in that shore over there. Do you see that? I'm like, the one we're heading towards really fast right now? Yes, yes, I do. I don't want to die, Dave. He said, don't worry, me neither. And he turns the rope and leans back, and the boat swoops out, and the wind catches it, and it goes on faster and farther than I thought it ever could. He took all of us out. He took turns with us. It was a really nice thing for him to do, because he's doing all the work. I'm just holding on. Or he'd tell me, shift your weight this way. Shift your weight that way. Don't move. Guess what happens if I don't shift my weight this way, that way, or if I move when he says don't move? Going to get hurt, right? Wind. God's spirit, God's word tells us God's Spirit's at work. Our lives are like that. As we wait with expectation, as we wait for God to be at work, if our hearts fear Him, if we're humble before Him, we want to follow where He's leading. And it's kind of like that. We're just along for the ride. If we move when God says move, He's going to bless us. If we stay when God says stay, when He says don't move, be still, listen, shut up, kayate, hold on, when we do that, God speaks. That's why this season of expectation is so important. That's what it means that God is at work. He's at work in our lives. When we're humbled and when we're seeking Him, when we long, when we desire, when we wait upon Him, He wants to lift us up. So wherever you are heading into this Christmas season, whoever you are, whether you feel that you're one of the people God has blessed greatly, this rich and powerful versus lowly thing that he talks about here, the Greek word there for that, toponus, it's not badly translated in our new CSB Bible, but the English language doesn't really have a great translation for it. But the word here is 
the lowly. But in reality, the lowest of the low, worse than the dirt underneath your shoe, is probably the best explanation of that. So here, Mary, who felt like her life had no hope, is learning that God is saying, I'm at work and I'm going to flip everything over in lives. And if you'll follow me, if you'll follow me and, and go where I need to go and stay when I need to stay and wait when I, need, when I tell you to wait, I'm going to guide you safely to where I have you to go, to shore. But if you try to do it your own way, Mary, if you start telling everybody how it is, if you start telling everybody, hey, you know what? This, this gal, God's son, right here. You see, Mary learns that lesson. We see even in Jesus' first miracle, she comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, I got something for you to do. And he says, hold on a minute. You know it's not time yet. Mary always understood. Do we understand what it means to wait? If you feel like you are the lowest of the low today, that you are beyond God's hope, let the reality of this first Christmas carol sink in. The season of expectation. Christ has come to redeem the forgotten, the broken, the hopeless. And it's about more than bank accounts. Now, bank accounts matter because what you do with your treasure, what you do with your time, what you do with your choices shows what's going on in your heart. True. But there are a lot of people that look like they've got it all together on the outside. But on the inside, they're broken. They're hurting. If that's you today, I want you to know that Christ has come to save you, to redeem you, to give you hope, to give you expectation, to give you joy. And if you'll wait upon him, he will guide you along and he'll put wind in your sails and he'll take you where you need to go. And if you will wait when he says wait, and if you will go when he says go, and you may think, that's great, I have no idea. I have no idea how to do that. I want to encourage you today to take just a few steps to make that reality in your life. First of all, grab one of those Advent devotionals. Begin reading it, the green one, if you really want to read. If nothing else, there's a shorter book, a red one out there. It's a little bit uh, larger than the ones we have out on the table. They're spread around the Welcome Center. Grab one of those books. And if you think, yeah, you know what, I, I know this is true. I know God's at work. I want you to be like Elizabeth. If you feel like Mary today, grab one of those and get started. But if you feel like Elizabeth... Grab one of the very small books or one of the, with a postcard inside of it or grab even two. Think of somebody in your life, family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, who maybe feels like Mary felt at the beginning of this passage and has no hope. She has no hope at the beginning here. She's trying to put the pieces together. She's walking in faith, but she's scared to death. Or she feels so outcast that how would God, why would God, what's going on? I think so many of us decide that God's not there because our lives are so hard. We don't even realize we're swinging the boat around in the rocks on ourselves. If you know somebody in your life like that, take them. One of these books, give it to them. If they don't have a church home, invite them to our church. If they say, I go to a church, it's a great church, they preach the Bible, say, that's great. Are you going to go this Christmas? Are you going? Encourage them. Give them that book. Spend some time with God, making space for Him in community in this place to speak to you, to guide you. In the hustle and bustle, will you remember that God is indeed at work in your life? And will you take time 
to remind somebody else that he's at work in their lives, even when they can't see him? How will our lives, yours and mine, show real expectation of Christ this Christmas over and above all the hustle and bustle and all the other things? Friends, we need to take time to show that we have hope in Christ and that we have lives that are expectantly waiting for him. Let's pray. God, that you would in every way guide us, that you would be at work in us, that you would use us. Lord, that we would know, as Mary knew, that there is more to belonging to you than we could ever imagine. At first glance, we could feel lost. We could feel afraid. We could feel, God, abandoned. We all go through times in our lives when that's true. So I pray that you would use us to encourage another. Lord, even those in this place that need encouraged, that we would know what it means to take time for people in this busy time of year, that we would focus on those eternal things that matter. God, guide our lives and steer us that we would know what it means to belong to you. Whether we feel like the lowest of the low, or God, whether we feel like you've already redeemed us, that we would take time to seek after you. God, fill us with joy, with hope, and with expectation during this busy season, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.